This series is called Hidden Heroes. These are picking some characters out of the scripture over the next few weeks that uh, play maybe a behind-the-scenes kind of role and uh, someone that maybe not always mentioned uh, in sermons. And I, uh, I love the fact that I got to start off with Barnabas because he's one of my favorites. And I want to talk to you a little bit about him this morning. Barnabas, you've probably, uh, maybe you've heard him in tandem with Paul, uh, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul, and we read about him in the book of Acts uh, primarily, but uh, just this wonderful guy, and, and what I love about him is his name. Uh, we know him as Barnabas, but his actual, uh, his parent, uh, his name was uh, Joshua or uh, Joseph, um, but, uh, but it was his nickname, this idea, uh, Barnabas, and it didn't come early on in his life. It wasn't a childhood nickname that he just carried with him. The scripture says the apostles gave this name to him. So it was, it was the way he lived his life later on. And most of the time when you get a nickname, you get it early on. How many of you grew up with a nickname? I'd love to go around the room and hear what they are. Some I know we can't share publicly, probably, but uh, I would love that. I gave all of my kids, we had four kids, I gave them all nicknames. My youngest was Tucker, I, we called him Tuck Man, and then there was Randa, her name was Ruru, and uh, Rachel was Flava. I don't know where Flava came from, we just called her Flava, and uh, the guy that usually leads worship here, his name is James, and obviously we called him Sweet Baby James when he was born. And that stuck with him for a long, long time. So next week when he's back, if you just want, to, he's going to hate it. He's going to hate that I'm saying it right now, but he's not here to defend himself. But that was uh, his nickname. I didn't really have one. Now, I did have uh, a couple other nicknames for the boys, and I'll let you decide who gets what. So there was Tucker and James, and then there was uh, Tuckman and Sweet Baby James. But also, as they grew up, it was Jerkweed and... Uh, dipstick. And so you can decide who got jerkweed and who got dipstick. But, and if you stand, uh, hang around with them any length of time, you say, well, I bet you're the dipstick. But um, the, first the first pastor, and he was pastor for all of my growing up years from, a, from just a, a child at church until I went off to Bible college. I only had one pastor, and he was a wonderful uh, beautiful man. He's now with the Lord, but he was a tremendous pastor, and uh, he was such an encouragement to me, and he had a nickname, but I remember uh, when I was just a, I was a preteen, um, back in the day when I had hair and could actually do something with it and fashion it one way or another, uh, I, I got into this, this stage, now, I don't even know if this stage is still out there anymore, or this, but it was the punk rocker stage, and so I would spike my hair up, straight up. You know, it usually have some sort of mousse or something in it, and you just run your fingers through and run it up, right? Well, it's been a long time since I've done that. But uh, you'd run it up. My mother hated it, and uh, every time she would see it like that, she'd, uh, 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 calm it down. It was like, she's always trying to cramp my style, right? And so I would say, you're, you're hurting my style. And she said, you're hurting my eyes. Uh, fold it down. We were going to church one time, I remember, and uh, sure enough, I come out of my room ready to get in the car, and my hair's whoop, just like that, and she said, nope, nope, you're not walking into church like that and embarrassing the fool out of me. She said, it may not be embarrassing to you, but it looks embarrassing to me. So I was like, all right, well, you know exactly what I've done. She went into the building first, and she started to greet everybody. She turns around, and mine's whoop, right back up, 
and I'm the punker in the, you know, the rebellious punk teenager in the church youth group that day. Afterwards, everybody, not everybody, but a lot of folks are gathering around, and, and sure enough, you know, if your hair's standing straight up, and it wasn't that way last week, folks are going to say something about it, and, and people just started ribbing me and making fun of me, and don't feel bad for me because I was a jerkweed, and I would say the same, you know, I would make fun of them as well if something was going on in their life, so, but they were all sort of ribbing me. My pastor comes up, and uh, he had, he had, he's like me, he was like me now. He had trouble growing hair, but uh, he was listening to everybody sort of rib me, and after everybody had their say, he said, well, I like it. And then he said, if I, had, if I could grow hair, I would do that. And I, listen, 52 years old, and I'm repeating this story that happened to me back before I was a teenager. It stuck with me. That and, and no one, they wasn't like, you know, it wasn't harsh criticism or whatever, but I just remember everybody sort of picking on me, and my pastor came up and said, I like, and you know what I say now? Sometimes when I'm uh, meeting or greeting people, and sure enough, some kid will come up, you know, with a sort of a very creative hairdo, and their parents are like, yeah, look at this guy. I always want to take up for them now. And you know what I say now to the, to the kid with the, you know, with the funky little hairdo? I say, I like it. And if I could grow hair, and believe me, if I could grow hair, I would do that. I'd color it. I'd spike it. I'd do some, I, would, I would let everybody know, look, I can grow hair. Uh, because you're going to get to a point, most of us fellas, that you can't grow hair. And so while you can grow hair, do something with it. Uh, but, but my pastor stuck up for me, and that stuck with me. Now, here was his name. I didn't know it was a nickname for a long, long time. But my pastor's name, I thought was his name, come to find out it was his nickname, his name was Fuzzy. Fuzzy. Isn't that weird? It wasn't weird for me because I grew up with it. They called him Pastor Fuzzy. Sometimes if you knew him real well, you could call him Brother Fuzz. But it was Fuzzy. All of, and I didn't even know for a long time. In fact, and this is a true story, I wanted to call him for some reason, and I can't remember what the reason was, but I wanted to call him, and I didn't know his number, and I didn't want to ask mother for his number because I know she wouldn't give it to me because she didn't want me aggravating the pastor, so I did. Uh, back in the day, you could call directory assistance. You remember directory assistance, 411? You call directory assistance, some operator, like from Mayberry, gets on there and says, town please or city please, and then you give them the city, and then they'll say name. I call directory assistance. I want my pastor's number. She gets this gal gets on the line and says, city please. I said, Yorkshire. And she said, name. I said, Fuzzy Salyers. And she said, what was the first name? I said, Fuzzy Salyers. She said, how do you spell it? I thought, how hard is this? <laughs> Get somebody else on the other line. And I said, F-U-Z-Z-Y, Fuzzy. And she said, I'm sorry, there's no Fuzzy Salyers in Yorkshire. She said, we have a Lonnie Salyers. I thought, well, that's not even close. Why would you even suggest that? And of course, I'm not going to call Lonnie and call him fuzzy. That would make me look foolish. I said, well, I don't know. Then later on, I was telling my mother, I sort of broke the news that I tried to call a pastor. I said, but he is so important that his name is unpublished on 411. And she said, uh, no, it's not. I said, yeah. I said, call 411 and ask for fuzzy Salyers. She said, you did not ask for Fuzzy Salyers. <laughs> That's his name, right? Was I supposed to say Pastor Fuzzy Salyers? She said, his name is Lonnie. And I promise you, 
my whole, my, the whole universe shifted on me for just a little bit. There was like this black hole forming over in the periphery, and I thought, no, this is, what do you mean? I have called this man Fuzzy for years and years and years, and you're telling me his name is Lonnie? So then I had all kinds of questions. Why Fuzzy? Why not Lonnie? And Pastor Fuzz, I mean, I always thought it was a little odd, but I didn't want to say anything because he was such a great guy. But I just remember this, then the power of a nickname to stick with you. Barnabas, I love this. He got this name later on, given to him by the apostles. And what I love about Barnabas is it's not just about him, but it's something about him that ran in the family because it's son of encouragement. His mom or his dad or both of them were encouragers. And, and as he was interacting with the apostles, they said, there's something about you that just, this is like, you're just like your mom and dad. Now, most of the time when somebody says, you're just like your mom and dad, that might not be a good thing. But when, in this situation, it was a really good thing because your mom and dad were encouragers and I can see that same thing in you. Let me uh, tell you this about him. He was a Levite, the scripture says, and we're gonna look at three different passages in just in a few moments, sort of three snapshots of his life. But here's what you, I want you to know about Barnabas. He was a Levite. They performed the minor duties and, and supportive roles to the high priest. And so even his occupation was a supportive role. He was used to being a, a, a behind the scenes kind of a guy. In fact, it's interesting when he first started running around with Paul, and you can notice it in the book of Acts, when it refers to Paul and Barnabas, it refers to them as Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. But all of a sudden, Paul becomes the main speaker, and then, he's, and then they're mentioned as, then, then, then Paul gets top billing, and then it's Paul and Barnabas. And nowhere in Scripture does it say Barnabas ever had a problem with this. In fact is, he was probably much more comfortable with that. Here's another thing that we notice from Scripture is that he, he owned land. And a Levite who had no ancestral inheritance, owned some land. So that was a rare thing in and of itself. So if you were a Levite and you had some possessions and you owned some land, which was the hardest thing to come by as, as a Jew in an occupied country, if you could get a hold of some land, that means you worked really, really hard. And so this Barnabas was a landowner uh, a, a Levite landowner, no ancestral inheritance, and in order to own land in Cyprus especially, you had to be in good standing uh, with all of the authorities there. Most Jewish people did not have that standing with them, not because of, of them, but because of the regulations against them. So the system was rigged against you if you were a, Jew, a, a, a Jewish person in Cyprus at this time. And so here's Barnabas, a Jewish person in Cyprus at this time, he has to be in really good standing with the, with the authorities of the, of the place, and he owns land, which means he's worked really, really hard, and he's gotten a hold of something, and then we find out that he sells it, gives it away, then we find out that he trades in his reputation, gives away his land, trades in his reputation, and then we know that he was martyred in Cyprus. He cashed it all in for the faith. All, loses it, in quotations, loses it all for the faith. His reputation that he, that he and his family had worked for forever. 
And yet when he took sides with this new little brand new infant thing called the church, he was not just deciding to hook up with this church, he was deciding against a whole lot of things he had worked for for a long, long time. And this we see him as this encourager. No wonder he stuck out uh, the way he stuck out. Here's the the scripture, it says, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, runs in the family. He was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it to the apostles' feet. Here's the first thing uh, that I want to make note about Barnabas. He had a heart for the church, had a heart for church. He had a heart for infant ideas, vulnerable startups, There is no time probably when, if you have an idea or God starts putting something in your heart or you're stepping out in a new venture or a new step of faith, uh, there's no more vulnerable time in your life than at the beginning of something. And it's at that time when you can be vulnerable to criticism. A critical word at the very beginning of a ministry or the very beginning of a startup when there's no track record to lean on and when you have no confidence in that this thing is going to work. For, for a Barnabas to take, some, take, his, take his land, we don't know if it was all the land he had, but to take a portion of his land, sell it, and bring it and lay it at the apostles' feet. One, he was saying, now he was supposed to take that to the Jewish synagogue, and he didn't. And he takes it to the apostles' feet as if to say, and at that moment, the, the church wasn't a, a sort of a whole separate thing. It was just starting to splinter off from the Jewish synagogue. And Barnabas takes his money and lays it down at the apostles' feet as if to say, I believe this thing's going somewhere. And you know how encouraging it is when somebody backs you? When somebody believes in you? In that moment when you don't even know if this thing's going to survive or not, and they come along with an encouraging word. And how critical it is and how damaging it is when you come along with a a critical word at such a vulnerable time. Dear friend, in this day and age in which we live, the, the, one of the greatest needs we have is to send out all through this area encouragers, people looking for those who are vulnerable, people looking for those who need just a good word of encouragement to them. It may not mean much to you, but it can change the trajectory of somebody's life. Just to have somebody else saying, I believe in you, I'm for you, I'm with you. And I want to invest uh, with you in this endeavor. My daughter is my oldest. This is Flava. She, uh, this is her teaching last year at the camp where the kids are going this week. This was her last summer. And she, she went to camp there, went to Bible college there. And, uh, and she went back last summer because she was going to have an opportunity to do some teaching in some of the classes to the other um, uh, di- not, not directors, but the, the other leaders there, and because they were going to give her an opportunity to do some teaching, and she was wondering if that's something that she wants to pursue uh, in her life. She was like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And she, she and I talked about it for uh, a few weeks before she accepted it, and then she's up there, and then she would text me or call me. It's like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to some of the leaders tonight, or I'm speaking on this tonight, uh, uh, teaching this uh, in the class tonight. And I remember her, she was just so, sort of almost so fragile and vulnerable because it was such this brand new uh, venture for her, but it was one that she wanted to step out on. 
But she was just like so, so afraid. Here was the text she sent me right after she finished. She said, seriously, almost threw up. I had to switch the mic because my hand was shaking so bad. After, uh, after she and I had those texts back and forth with each other, I just, I just uh, uh, took a moment and prayed. And I, didn't, I, I prayed for her, but you know who I prayed for? I prayed for somebody to encourage her. Because whatever I say is bias, and so she knows, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, but you're my dad, you're supposed to say good things. So everything I had to say was encouraging to her, but I wanted somebody else. And so I just prayed, dear Lord, let somebody come up to her afterwards and just encourage her about, uh, about her teaching. And then I did say this, I have to be honest, if someone discourages her, Lord, please destroy that individual. But <laughs> not really, but yes, really, but... You know how vulnerable you are in those moments and how powerful it can be when somebody comes along and just has a small word of encouragement. Snapshot two, here's the, here's the next. And it says this, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. That's Paul attempting to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. They thought this whole thing's a scam, this is a setup, this is an ambush. Paul had persecuted the church. He had had some of them killed, ran, ran Christians out of town. They would lose their homes, their livelihoods, all of that because of Paul. And now Paul gets saved. And the Lord says, I want you to hook up with these disciples and they're gonna train you and teach you and then I got something for you to do. He tries to do that, but those disciples were like, oh no, you're not suckering us. We don't even, we, we don't even want you to know where we are. And I love this. It says, but Barnabas, the encourager, now look at this little phrase, took him and brought him. Took him and brought him. As if to say, Paul had already tried to hook up with the disciples and they didn't want anything to do with him. And he wasn't going back. I'm not going to that church anymore. I'm not going to that place anymore. They don't like me there. Uh, they're critical of me there. They hate me there. I see the way they look at me there. And, and Barnabas wouldn't let Paul quit. Barnabas says, you're going with me. I can envision some night, some evening, some afternoon, Barnabas uh, texts Paul and says to Paul, hey, I'm coming over. We're gonna go out and, and, and grab a hot dog. Paul gets in the car and it's like, hey, I thought we were gonna go get a hot dog. No, we're going to church. I don't wanna go to that church anymore. But Barnabas took him to the disciples and then Barnabas, Barnabas tells Paul, you don't have to say anything, let me talk. Well, what kind of sway does Barnabas have with the disciples? The kind of sway anybody has when you sell land and give the money to the church. And so Barnabas goes in and says, remember me, guys? I'm the one that sold land and gave the money to the church? It's like, okay, yeah, we'll give you five minutes. So then Barnabas stands up and says, this guy, Paul, I want to vouch for him. But no, Barnabas, you don't understand. I know what he's done, but I'm going to vouch for him. And I'm sure Barnabas looked at Paul and said, do you understand? I'm vouching for you. This better be real. I'm, vouch I'm putting my name, my reputation. That's taken me a long time to build up. I'm taking my reputation and I'm staking it on you. And Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to him uh, Paul's story. And the rest is history. Barnabas had a heart for Paul. He had a heart for those with a bad reputation and a sinful past. Oh, I love this about Barnabas. You know what Paul had done? I mean, 
if you didn't want to give Paul a second chance, to be quite honest, you were justified not giving him a second chance. If you didn't believe him, to be quite honest, you were, nobody's, nobody's, going to, nobody's going to criticize you for not giving Paul a second chance. He was harsh. He didn't just make slip-ups. Paul was a harsh, harsh sinner. And yet the encourager comes along and says, I believe in you. Ladies and gentlemen, and maybe you're here this morning and you can testify to what it's like to know that you've screwed up royally in the past. I mean, got a, got a past that you are ashamed of and embarrassed about. And for somebody to come along and say, I want to walk with you the next few steps. I want to go with you. I'm going to walk with you. And I'm gonna I'm gonna get some I'm gonna get an audience for you and some and I'm gonna get some people to give you a listen, not because of you because they don't trust you, but but they'll do it on my part. And I'm going to deposit and take some out of my bank account that I build up with people, and I'm going to put it into your account, and you can cash some of these opportunities out of my account. Oh, that's so powerful. And this is why he was the son of encouragement. Last snapshot, and I love this. After some days, now Paul and Barnabas, the disciples brought him in. It was obvious that God was in him and on him and working through Paul. And so now he's, he's establishing and planting churches. He's writing letters, 13 of which are in your New Testament. Um, and so Paul is obviously being used of the Lord. He gets to a place to where uh, he's established some of these churches. And then he says to Barnabas, who is his co-worker, his, his right-hand man, let's go back through those churches and I want to see how all of these Christians are doing. And it mentions this guy named John Mark. And it says that, uh, that, that Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, the same Mark that wrote, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that same Mark. And he wanted to take him, but Paul didn't want to take Mark because Paul had they had taken Mark earlier to another, uh, to another tour, a, a missionary journey. And, they, and, and Paul, we, we don't know exactly why Mark quit on him, but we know Mark quit on him, and, and, it, and it wasn't like something he couldn't help. It wasn't like for health reasons or whatever. So it was his own doing. Some say that he was, he just got, he, he was young. He was a young man and he, and he got fearful of, of being martyred or he got homesick. We don't know why, but he left uh, the work of the ministry. And in all honesty, Paul says it makes all of us look bad. I'm up here teaching and preaching about giving your life to the Lord and, and putting it all on the line, and here's one of our assistant pastors, if you will, just going home and quitting on the work of God. And so when it was ready to go for another trip or another round, Paul said, I don't want to take that guy. He, he done us damage last time. Barnabas says, as you can read in the verse, Barnabas says, no, I want to take him. I'm not giving up on him. And the scripture here says, look at it, it says they had a hot contention or a, dis a sharp disagreement between the two of them. So what happened? So Paul goes and he takes Silas with him and now they go do their thing. Barnabas takes Mark with him and they go do their thing. It's funny, you know, where Barnabas runs to at first, Barnabas runs back to Cyprus. It's like he, Barnabas himself wasn't used to the spotlight, wasn't used to being first chair, wasn't used to leading something, and so he runs, to a, he runs to an area of which has always been a source of comfort for him, and let's start there. 
But he goes back with Mark. Now, fast forward, we don't have the verse for it, but fast forward later on when Paul's at the end of his ministry and Paul is giving out some instructions to like Timothy and Silas and even Barnabas and those guys. He says, send Mark to me because he is profitable to me to the ministry. So Barnabas was able to work Mark back into the ministry. And because of that, we have a letter, uh, a narrative of Jesus' life called the book of Mark. He would not give up on him. He had a heart for Mark. He had a heart for those who got in over their head and failed. We tried it. I tried it. And I embarrassed myself. And Oh, I don't want to ever do that again. And I doubt they'll ever give me another opportunity. It wasn't like Paul's background and past. This was just, you know, I signed up for it and I... Uh, you know, my heart was just full. I was at that missions conference and my heart was just full and I signed up and I just got in over my head and now I'm embarrassed and I, I a little, feel a little awkward about even going to church because I used to be and I was and I did and now I can't and or now I don't and now I feel bad about even, you know, putting my name on the list again for something. And Barnabas would come along and say, walk with me. I'll go with you. We'll get back into this thing together. What an encouragement. Let me ask you an application at the closing here uh, this morning. How many of you have an encourager or has had some encouragers in your life and you say, ah, well, I could use an encourager. Let me ask you, how many of you, how, how have you been able to cultivate your encouragers? Express appreciation for those who are an encouragement to you. I believe encouragers, dear friend, it's, it's something that you can grow in your life. And if you find yourself in need of encouragement from time to time, that might be a, that might be a sign to you to be an encouragement to somebody else. Most of us are pretty good. Most of and I know encouragement is, is a gift and it comes sort of natural for some people. I'm not that. I want to be that. I, I just know I'm not that. Most of us, I feel like, are pretty, are pretty neutral. It's like, if you say good to me, I'll say good to you. You say good job to me, I'll say good job to you. It's like, you know, as long as it's a give and take, I'm, I'm pretty good with it. But this Barnabas guy, these, these, these encouragers that are, that are just gifted with it, it's like, it doesn't matter what you say back to them. It just fills their soul to, to, to reach out and help somebody else. Determine to be an encouragement. You know why? Because I promise you this week, probably even tomorrow, maybe even this evening, you're gonna run across the path of somebody who could use some encouragement. It might be something small, it might be a, a, a text, a DM. It may just be a little post or something on social, or it may be a note. It may just be a, a verbal expression to somebody. But you're going to meet or be around somebody who could stand it. And you may not even know. You may not even know what's stirring in their heart and in their soul and the questions that they have. And you just stepping out. When you think of people and what they've meant to you and how they've been a blessing to you, don't let that just stay there express that appreciation for other folks and what they've meant and what they've done for you. I love this, to find out that uh, Barnabas, 
uh, with the early church fathers, they declared the longest day, which in our Western Hemisphere here is June 21st, the longest day. They kept the summer solstice as some would uh, keep up with it, but it was always marked early on because it was like um, uh, God's blessing upon the earth, right? This is the, this is the day that the sun is the, uh, stays out the longest, uh, and, um, uh, and the early church dubbed the longest day of the year as St. Barnabas Day. I love that. They were, giving him, they were giving Barnabas this place of honor with remembering this day, with remembering him on that day. But you know what I got to thinking? We use the term long day differently. Long day to us isn't like, you know, it was something great. Long day to us is like, oh, it's been a long day. Boy, it's been a long day. A long day may not be like life-killing or soul-crushing. A long day can just be, you know, just a lot of little cuts all through the day. Man, it's been a long day. You know who you need to run across on a long day? As an encourager. You know who would be good to be for somebody else on their long day? Just to be an encourager. June 21st is over, but I promise you tomorrow, somebody will be having a long day. This week, somebody's going to be having a long day. Let's do this. Let's ask the Lord to open our eyes, to make us sensitive to the people around us, to be able to sense, to feel a little more about what other folks are going through, and then asking the Lord, Lord, what can I do? How can I be an encouragement to them? Would you bow your heads with me, please, for just a moment? We're gonna, I'm gonna pray. We're going to uh, sing another verse um, there are going to be some folks to come down here to the front, a couple of folks, uh, after I pray. And as most people will be walking out of the auditorium, if you're here this morning and you have a special burden on your heart, we don't want you to walk out with that without somebody praying with you about it. So in just in a few moments, we'll stand, we'll sing, we'll be dismissed, folks will leave, most folks will leave, but I'd encourage you to come the opposite direction. There'll be some people down here. We'll pray with you uh, about what it is that, uh, what's heavy upon your heart. Or if this morning, if this whole idea of receiving Jesus or knowing Jesus as my Savior, if that's if those phrases and that that stuff seems kind of foreign, you've heard other people refer to it, but. You've just never gotten to a place in your life to where you feel like this, that this is a personal thing with the Lord. You're a Christian maybe like on paper, but you don't, this whole idea of a personal relationship with, the, with Christ, that's just not something you're familiar with. Boy, I would love for you to stick around and uh, come forward, pray with these dear folk. They'll, they'll help you to understand what it is to start a relationship with Jesus.